Hello friends, and welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Kenji Ross, a design strategist at EPAM Continuum. Big companies have big problems. One of the biggest of the big problems is also perhaps the simplest, communication. How do new employees know how things work? How do new programmers learn company standards? How do new salespeople understand the widgets that they're selling? And what about the, you know, customers themselves? How does support support? Big companies had some ideas. They built knowledge bases, big wikis for employees to populate. They created online product training courses to ensure a baseline level of knowledge. They drew up integration documents for partner organizations, set up support channels to help their maintenance teams in the field, and then they smushed it all together and called it a portal. And in doing this, they created a new mess. Now, when an employee or a tech or partner doesn't know what to do, they can head to a portal that doesn't help them know what to do. Luckily, a couple EPAMers have thought this through. Kath Crotty, Director of Business Development, and Jonathan Lupo, VP of Experience Design, solve problems like this all the time. They've learned how to create seamless experiences built from disparate parts using the glue of a unified content strategy and learned where it's most useful. In short, they know how to get the right information onto the right platforms at the right time. And it all comes from a bit of empathy for the users. Let's see how it's done. Hey there. Um, So the topic that we're um, being asked to discuss today is around partner enablement, um, customer enablement, um, and partner portals kind of tangentially. Um, I I always like to begin by understanding the topic and exploring it more broadly. So, Keth, what does partner enablement mean to you? Yeah, good question. So um, usually when we're engaging with an organization, um, they're looking to help their users um, be more effective with their products and their solutions, Um, you know, leveraging their technology, um, maybe selling the products and solutions if they're um, a, a reseller or an integration partner, and really understanding the technology behind those products. And so it's it's both the business side and that, that user enablement perspective of what does that user need to know and how do they get to it in a, in a very easy, uh, intuitive way. Got it. Um, and it sounds like the way you're describing it, you're, you're talking about maybe a single partner. I was reading a recent study that talked about the fact that when you're supporting partners, um, you should think about it in terms of uh, supporting an ecosystem. Um, when you partner up um, to deliver solutions, usually, you know, they're, they're very complex these days. Um, and they require multiple partners to be involved in delivering something that's more holistic. Um, do you, do you have any sense of other kind of trends like that? Is that something that, you know, uh, you think is changing in the way we enable partners? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And, and the types and styles of partners and even the same type of partner, you can have many different levels of those partners. You know, if you're selling physical products, um, you know, te- technology solutions, um, 
you could have a mom and pop shop who is a partner and you could have a multi-billion dollar company that's a partner. You can have technology partners, you can have resellers, integration partners and everything in between. And you really need to understand um, who those people are uh, as they come to your portal and able to service them the appropriate way and give them the right information that's contextual to who they are, their level of experience and what they might need. And that means understanding what they've bought, the types of projects that they're working on, and really contextually understanding who that person is coming to the site or the portal and what they might be uh, looking for. So you need that empathy. And it, it probably makes sense too that you would need um, that empathy for the end customer because the reason why you're developing these partnerships is to deliver solutions for for the end customer, right? So, and making sure that the combination of your services and their services and other ecosystem partner services um, are truly supportive of end customer goals. How is that approached with partner enablement? Yeah, this is one of the trends that we're starting to see where I think historically you had many different systems in place that might service your customer and various types of partners. And even from a a knowledge base and the type of information that you're storing, a ticket system, when someone comes to the site or the portal, um, they need to know where to go uh, to get the right information. And um, none of these systems necessarily talk. And so understanding where um, the users are from a customer perspective and what products they've purchased, the partners that are supporting those customers, um, the types of users coming in and requesting information and their roles with those products and solutions is extremely uh, important. And these systems really need to be able to talk. They need to be able to share data with one another so that this journey is not disconnected and uh, interrupted. So it sounds like there there needs to be some level of transparency or visibility um, across partner kind of um, so, uh, platforms so that there's an understanding of the needs of their customers and what would make a great holistic solution? What are some of the other kind of uh, principles you can think of um, for um, partner platforms or partner portals um, beyond kind of just transparency and visibility? Um, Yeah, so we talk about breaking down silos, silos of information and silos of experience. And a very frustrating experience for any user, whether you're a customer, whether you're a partner, or, or just you know um, some type of uh, person going and searching for information, is where you think you're in the right place and you're <laughs> searching on the right topic, and and you're not in that right place. And the when you ask the question. Um, and where you ask the question, which in a portal, if that gives you different answers, that can be very frustrating because the end user doesn't necessarily have that context. So um, we really try to put ourselves in um, the seat of that user and understanding their journey as they are working with products, working with solutions, looking for answers to their questions. And by mapping out that journey and understanding all of those different repositories of information, whether it's support or knowledge base or or training, product training, integration documentation, um, 
and, and how they're going to ask those questions and what's the taxonomy of those questions, that all has to be simplified from a user experience because otherwise they're never going to be able to get the right answers when they need them in a very easy way. And, and that's a very frustrating experience for, for someone who needs an answer now. Right. Maybe they're dealing with their top customer or maybe they are a top customer and, and they're they're frustrated um, with a product or solution. So by putting yourselves in that kind of uh, driver's seat of the user, you can really start to understand where a process breaks down. And do, do you find that there's a lot of um, tolerance or patience for that level of discovery you know, that level of investigation of understanding end customer needs and their journey? Or do you think, um, you know, partners that maybe are, are selling technology solutions are kind of leading with their solutions and foregoing that discovery? Yeah, yeah I, I think every product out there um, you generally operates in one of these silos. Like you, you can go find the top knowledge-based solutions, the top support and, and ticket solutions, the uh, top training uh, and, and learning solutions, um, and, and even systems that are designed to be overall our partner portals in general. And they all talk about this user journey and this importance and in, is, you know, simplifying the user experience. The problem is you cannot you cannot handle the entire user journey in any one of those products. So you have to really take a step back and, you know, optimizing the experience within one of those channels or those streams is not enough. You have to optimize across all of these silos and you have to unify and, and really integrate and understand that user journey as they move between a software application product training, support, knowledge base, you know, back to support, back to the product. And you have to keep that context. You, you have to understand in every one of these systems is collecting data and information. You need to open that up and be able to use it to really personalize the experience for, for that user. Let me ask you a question. Is that, um, that investigation, is that typically a pre-sales kind of uh, thing that you and the partners do um, when uh, kind of pursuing an opportunity with a customer, or is that part of the professional services kind of model of the of the solution? I guess. Yeah. So it is. It is a professional service that that we offer when we're looking at building towards this future vision, that I- ideal future state. Often when we start engaging with an organization, they're they're moving in this direction already. They know they want to accomplish this, but they don't necessarily know how to get there. And beyond those those various platform silos and, and content silos and data silos, you have to understand that their teams are also siloed. The team working on training information is not necessarily the same team working on product documentation, and that's not necessarily the same team working to support end users. And so um, it's very difficult for them to think outside those silos and implement a unified solution while they're doing their job. And so they may come to us with a problem around product knowledge base or support or training, uh, or you know, user upskilling, or whatever it might be, and so we can help them address those immediate needs. But we can help 
to also start forming that future vision of what the ideal um, future state is going to be. And and so it, it can be a little bit of both, right? We can immediately start to look at delivering a, a immediate value to an organization and their end users while starting to build and, and discover for that, that future state. How do we create that alignment, kind of bust those silos like you're, you're mentioning um, with an organization that's traditionally siloed? Um, well, so one of the areas that is very critical to um, developing this, this ideal uh, future vision is a unified content strategy. So you can have perfectly integrated platforms and you can even put together, let's say, unified behavior data and analytics and recommendation engine and everything else that, that may be part of this, this final solution. But if you don't have a unified content strategy, it, it's not going to work. You're going to have different taxonomy. You're going to have different data. Every team is going to be creating the content and authoring in a different process, different workflow, and creating different quality and even um, standards of content, right? And so we, when we come in, one of the first places we like to look at is how is the information, how is the knowledge base and content and, and information that's designed to support users um, and, and train them and, and help them answer their questions? How is that being developed and by whom? And, and what is the process and strategy behind that? And if we can unify that content strategy, it kind of sets the foundation to building that that uh, unified uh, user enablement approach. So in creating that unified user enablement approach, um, do you kind of design that platform or that set of tools, uh, the knowledge base, et cetera, um, for uh, partners who are the most information poor or have the least level of understanding of kind of our assets or, you know, do you start more simply and, and just get a platform that's easy to extend up and running um, to support our partner ecosystem? Yeah, every one, of, every one of the organizations we've worked with today has a number of different solutions in place. And, and we usually do not replace the systems that they have. So there are a number of top um, knowledge-based solutions and a number of top CRMs and a number of top um, training platforms. What we do as part of the discovery is we will analyze all the current solutions along with the content strategy and authoring process behind creating the content for each of these solutions. And then we look at building the appropriate analytics layer, uh, integration, uh, integrating those solutions together and filling any gaps. And, and they may have gaps in, in the right recommendation engine and certain tool sets. But overall, um, we're platform agnostic. It's getting the most out of what an organization already has and then finding what else they might need in order to get the job done. Okay. So when you conduct that kind of ecosystem audit, I'll just call it for lack of a better word. I don't, yep. I don't know what you're calling it, but describe your ideal team. Um, who's on that professional services team conducting that discovery? Um, it, it really depends on the organization, but we will have a, um, a content authoring um, a consultant and expert of a high level who can really understand um, 
all of the, the various processes and workflows from a content perspective. We will have uh, maybe a number of uh, uh, technical engineers um, involved in the discovery. Uh, and then really people to dig in and, and get into the actual you know, volume of, of content and information that's needed. Someone from a data analytics team, th this could be one resource. Sometimes titles can be shared between the right resource. Um, and we may have multiple people of each role. Uh, d depending on the, the size of, of the undertaking. I've seen discoveries where we're looking at, you know, maybe several hundred to several thousand e-learning courses. And I've seen discoveries in which we're looking at 300,000 or more pages of historical uh, product knowledge base already created, already, you know, already out there. And it's not enough to build a strategy that's going to start working with the systems and content. Um, moving forward, you have to create a plan and a process to uplift and possibly shift all of that historical knowledge base and information as well. Keth, I thought you were going to say you also need a talented team of design thinkers and experienced designers to understand <laughs> you know, the workflows we're trying to um, support and really gain empathy for the, uh, the end customer. Are they also kind of part of your team? I, I, I would say absolutely critical. You're right. Um, and if we kind of take that step back again and we, we look at this analysis from where we started, documenting and understanding that user journey is like the entire point of, of this process. So you can, you can improve processes and you can save time and energy from an organization perspective by, by working on those backend systems. But to really produce the ideal end user experience, you need to have someone looking at, at these systems from that end user journey and that UI UX perspective as well. So what are some of the, um, I guess, trends that you're seeing out there in, in uh, customer enablement, partner enablement, um, or some of the most common problems that we're solving? Well, to a large degree, what we're, we're really applying are kind of learning methodologies and best practices um, and, and digital adoption techniques into the you know, the physical product world for some of these organizations from a partner perspective. And so um, for a long time, uh, we've been developing uh, like micronized e-learning and e-learning content and embedding it into, let's say, applications from a user perspective. Um, when, they, when you're selling a, a technology solution, that can be an extremely effective way to help someone work with a technology product immediately reduce the amount of, let's say, upfront onboarding training they have to do to, to get the use out of that, that product and, and become effective right away. But, but how do you do this when, you're, when your product is like a thermostat and it has to be installed in the real world, in a physical world? And so we're taking some of these same strategies um, that used to be reserved for digital adoption, and we're providing the right contextual information to that person, that end user in the field, maybe installing, you know, an HVAC machine or, or um, some other type of physical world product um, through a portal, through an application to help them install, integrate, configure physical products. So that, that might be one type of example of what we're doing. 
Might that be a use case for immersive technologies like augmented reality? I know there's a few, mm-hmm. um, you know, educational tools that um, we've developed that uh, employ that kind of technology out in the field um, using digital um, and uh, and 3D kind of data visualization. Is that or, or knowledge-based content even more simply? Is that something you're familiar it, it, yeah it, it can be both and augmented reality the example i was giving is a really good example because you could for instance it doesn't have to be you know virtual reality goggles right we're we're talking about real world um, support and assistance to um, some type of subject matter expert out in the field and so it could be um, a, a cell phone app providing the right information um, some type of guided uh, installation tour um, while they're working on the on the system with the you know tools in the field. If they need to, they can connect to live support, and that live support agent now might have the same content and repositories available to assist that user with live support that they needed. So you're not losing context. The support agent knows what they're working on, knows what they're trying to do, might know the account and the customer that they're engaged with, and is enabled to assist that user between, you know, uh, self-support and and live support. Has this kind of recent pandemic um, affected kind of how we enable remotely, um, you know, in the field? Yes, absolutely. I think it, to a large degree, um, organizations were moving in this direction already, but it is certainly accelerated um, the need for better tools, better communication, and better context. Um, and it, where I see it really impacting these processes is in training and onboarding, um, where a lot of these other processes were already um, designed around remote assistance. Many organizations were still depending on, um, uh, let's say, face-to-face training processes and workflows, onboarding. And, and that's just not possible uh, in today's world. And they're realizing that not only does it uh, is it necessary today, but it actually works with what users expect. Uh, it, it can be more efficient. It can be um, more effective. And with that correct content strategy, the onboarding training that is used, the onboarding process and procedures used when you first start up training new users or, or new partners or, or new customers can be embedded into the support, can be embedded into the knowledge base, and can be embedded in the actual products and tools that they use to answer their questions immediately when needed. So it's actually a more efficient process. So when is face-to-face still needed? Or, or are you seeing more engagement now um, with, with kind of new digital innovations and remote engagement versus kind of where we were? Yeah, I mean, we, we, still, we still see organizations doing, um, you know, forms of face-to-face training and, and, and interaction. But I, I do think the, the tool sets that will allow immediate live, you know, support chat and, and video chat and video communications and, you know, the, the various, there's a hundred of different, you know, um, web meeting tools that can be integrated into your various products and solutions to support this. So 
um, it's not as necessary as it used to be. And there's a number of different ways to still get the value that you might have from face-to-face training in, in a less, uh, you know, physical constrained classroom type way. Got it. Got it. And then um, I had a question about how you measure successful partner enablement. Um, you know, is, are these uh, financial measures? Are they engagement metrics? What are, what are you looking at to say, yeah, um, this was a successful kind of partner enablement program or platform? Yeah, at at the end of the day, I I think the metrics that are important are going to be the metrics that are important to your partners. And and generally, that comes down to being able to have successful products and and make more money, right? So the the goal in most of these partner enablement programs is to allow your partners to better, you know, understand your products and solutions so that they can sell them better. They can uh, price them better. They can win more contracts. Those contracts are more successful because they, they know how to work with the various products and solutions that, that you're providing to them and their customers. Um, and, and then that allows them to make more money and grow and, and get more contracts from there. And so it, tying these, these programs back and understanding those kind of key performance indicators and, and how you're going to measure success is really important as well. Within one of these various kind of traditional silos of training, uh, of support, of, uh, of knowledge base, you may have other um, uh, you know, metrics that you're tracking, but tying these back to the overall kind of organizational objectives of that partner program is really important. And from a customer standpoint, an end customer standpoint, when facing a partnership, um, what are they looking for, you know, um, in terms of, uh, you know, kind of a co-selling, you know, here here's a partner ecosystem that's going to support one of my products or, mm-hmm. or programs what do I want from that partnership? Yeah, and and I think this comes down to things like you know certifying your partners and making sure they have the appropriate training and maybe they're badged appropriately and and you know you might have different classifications of partners you know bronze, silver, and gold. Many times that end customer is, is simply trying to identify. Um, you know, the right organization to engage with to get the job done. And and they want to feel confident that, um, you know, that partner is also supported in getting the job done, right? And they don't want to end up in a situation where people are pointing fingers at each other. And so I think a, a strong partner portal can also provide the right information to the customers, the end customers, as they're doing their research and due diligence, that they're making the right selection. And that's both from a partner perspective, as well as the product perspective. Got it. Well, I don't have any other questions, Kev. Um, Thank you. That was a great, uh, enlightening conversation. Yeah, it was fun. (laughs) I look forward to doing it again. For sure. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting, focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Keth Crotty and Jonathan Lupo for their great conversation. Cheers to Kip Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, 
for his behind-the-scenes wizardry. I'm your host, Kenji Ross, and I'm closing this support ticket. 